Hi, I'm Sue Edwards. I'm a practitioner here at the Centre, and it's my delight to give the offering, not the offering prayer, the affirmative prayer <laughs> to open our beautiful ceremony today. Okay, so just taking a breath, grounding ourselves and knowing that there is only one, one infinite, divine, loving energy that is everywhere present. And it lives and breathes and is within each of us. And I'm just so grateful for that knowing, that knowing that there is no separation, that there is only oneness. And it is from this place that I feel that I am whole, that there is nothing but this love, this sense of peace, and so I stay awake and aware. I stay conscious of my thoughts. For when they slip into the emotions of the past, I notice that. I recognize that. And I bring myself back to this moment, because this is the moment that I'm aligned with that greatness, with that infinite potentiality. For that great, with that great love, with that great peace, with that great compassion. And so this is where I wish to live my life, to create my destiny that is amazing, that is inspired. And I am so open to that. And so letting go of anything else, I release these words into the law, knowing that it says, yes, my beloved, it is already so. I let this be, and I ask you to say with me, and so it is. And so it is my great delight to introduce our speaker today. It is our lovely Reverend Tammy Banting, an inspirational teacher and a lady with wonderful consciousness. Welcome. Is that it? Oh, okay, hello. <laughs> Good morning and once again, thank you to Sue for the lovely opening treatment. And as always, thank you for all that you do for our spiritual community, Sue. We appreciate it. When Reverend Patrick asked me to do this morning's talk, he reminded me that he is now doing two different talks every Sunday here at the Centre. And would I be interested in creating two talks? I said, let's not get crazy. <laughs> two talks? It takes me a week to create one talk. No, I told him I am definitely a one-trick per Sunday pony. So just a heads up, if you're planning to stay for the second service, it will be like Groundhog Day for you if I'm here at the podium. Our conversation definitely made me reflect on just what it takes to, to, to create inspiring talks week after week. Even one talk, let alone two. In fact, it got me thinking about a lot of things in regard to Dr. Patrick being the spiritual director of CSL Edmonton South for every Sunday for 15 years. And I wondered as a community if we've really thought about that. As we know, everything is governed by the law, and so the inspiration for this talk was set by the very pondering of that question. It fits perfectly into my talk titled, Rooted in the Divine. The idea that everything we experience on the outside is a direct reflection of what we are thinking on the inside. 
For those of you, again, that may not know, I've been part of this community for over 19 years now. And my journey began here with Reverend Kay Patrick, who was the spiritual director at that time. And very early on, I got involved in board work and served on most areas of the board and was the board chair when Reverend Kay Patrick left our community to be the spiritual director in Florida. That also meant that I was on the committee in charge of attracting a new spiritual director to our community in 2002. We attracted a great slate of candidates, but Reverend Patrick Cameron from Simi Valley, California was the clear choice as voted on by our membership. So when I say I have been here right from the beginning with Dr. Patrick and Laura, I mean I was the one that picked them up off the plane when they arrived from a warm and sunny California to not-so-warm Edmonton, weather-wise anyway. My husband Tim and I had the pleasure of hosting them in our home. So here we are 15-plus years later, and I have been privileged to work in so many areas of the community with Dr. Patrick and others over the years, board work and committee work, fundraising, small groups, etc., etc. And Dr. Patrick is also my teacher, and it is with his guidance that I have become an ordained minister. Patrick said many, many times choosing to be a minister as a career is definitely a calling. And I can tell you from being on the inside track here at the center, he's right about that. Believe me, there's a chasm of difference between being a volunteer minister as I am and being and choosing it as a career, especially in a community this size. Last week, Patrick showed a slide of Superman during his Sunday message, and I often think Dr. Patrick should be the one on stage in red tights and a cape as his role falls more into the superhero realm than mere minister. Next week, when you hear him speak, just imagine him in those red tights and cape. <laughs> a spiritual community is a rare place. It's unique because I think we all believe that something special happens in faith communities, that no matter what kind of chaos is going on in the world outside, that this is a place of peace. As we examine some of the ideas presented today, let's see if that actually holds water. Is it a place of miracles? For some, yes, and for others, maybe not. Is our spiritual home a place to worship the God we believe in rather than the God that is? And we worship the God whom we believe in rather than the God who is. But there is nothing wrong about this since the God who is believed in is, at times, some part of the God who is. Therefore, whatever God you believe in, provided you believe this God is already in you, must respond to you at the level of your belief. This is why it is done unto each of us as we believe. The principle is infallible. The practice is what we make it. As in all Ernest Holmes' teaching, and, and as mentioned here, there is nothing wrong in anything we believe just an opportunity to examine the idea more closely if, in fact, it is not serving us. If, in fact, our belief in a certain idea is limiting the fullest and most joyful expressions of ourselves, the God we believe in is, at times, some part of the God who is, meaning that no matter what we believe, it's still God. It is done unto us as we believe. The great teacher Jesus said and taught many uplifting and miraculous ideas, and his statement, and this statement, is per perhaps the most important of all. What God do we believe in? It is self-evident which God is believed in by examining the outward expressions and manifestations in our lives. 
There is no more infallible proof of this than simply looking at what is being experienced on the planet as it relates to a belief in a particular God. Is it a belief in an exacting, vengeful, elitist God who on, whose only measurement of being worthy is based on the adherence to a set of laws or rituals? Maybe the God that is believed in dictates what clothes are to be worn to demonstrate reverence. Maybe it's a God that determines what love is and who, can, who you can love to stay within the confines of what is, de, what is demanded. Maybe it's a God who dictates what food you should eat and, what, and places importance on the day of the week that it is eaten. Maybe it is, it's a God that insists that the holiest place on earth is a geographical location, that miracles are relegated to a piece of land in a certain place. Really? So as we desperately try to demonstrate our deep faith in the God we believe in, we draw lines in the sand that are easily crossed and we fight anyone who crosses them. We judge anyone who doesn't believe in the same God we do. We condemn them. We think in terms of us versus them. We, come, we become fanatical about our beliefs because we believe if we don't get it just right that we will fall out of favor with our God. We judge others harshly, but far more, far more damaging than that, we judge ourselves harshly. Our faith in this kind of God creates fear in us, and with that, our vibration becomes lower and lower. We have put our faith in fear. We attract more hate, more duality, and more chaos. This begins in our thoughts and it is manifested in our experience. As with everything that is happening, all of this chaos is not judged as wrong or bad, but simply an invitation to look at the world and our lives differently. An invitation from the divine to be and do things differently. It is all here to teach us something about ourselves. So in this vein, it makes it right and perfect. Simply looking at the same experience through a different lens makes the experience something else completely. We know that the rituals and beliefs related to spiritual teachings are rooted in long-standing traditions and are of great importance and are demonstrations of deep veneration and love. They are the basis of community, family, and faith and are to be treasured, honored, and revered. They are a thread in the fabric of our families, their lineage, and their history. And at their highest outpicturing, rituals and beliefs bring pe people together as one. They give us a sense of our roots and our values, and in this light, beliefs, rituals, and traditions are simply beautiful, surrounded by an energy of love. The God within you creates every circumstance and situation you have ever experienced. You have called these circumstances and situations things in themselves, but they have never been. They have always been the fruition of your thought, and your thought has been dominated by your belief in God ever since you, you have had self-conscious life. So what is our role in worshiping the God that is? We begin by getting a bigger idea of God. I can tell you from re reliable sources God doesn't care much about what you eat or what you wear. God doesn't care who you love, only that you do love, and suggests that the person you want to love most is yourself. That the holiest place on earth or in this universe is not a geographical location, 
but is in the depths of your heart, the most sacred place where you feel most connected to the divine rooted in you. As Ernest Holm teaches us, you are rooted in the divine, which means that life always goes from the invisible to the visible. Belief is the vehicle and faith is the road that creates our life. This sweet little story is a great example of faith. What if we put our faith in the God of miracles? What, what could we create in our lives? If we look at the def definition of the word miracle, and if we can, in fact, embody the idea of being rooted in the divine, perhaps this story is evidence of our own ability to create miracles in our lives. Tess was an eight-year-old girl, eight years old, when she heard her mom and dad talking about her little brother, Andrew. All she knew was that he was very sick and they were completely out of money. They were moving to an apartment complex next, next month because daddy didn't have the money for both the doctor bills and the house payment. Only a very costly surgery could save her brother now, and it was looking like there was no one to loan them the money. She, she heard her dad say to her mom, only a miracle can save him now. Tess went to her bedroom and pulled a glass jelly jar from its hiding place in the closet. She poured out all the change out on the floor and counted it carefully. She counted it three times. The total had to be exactly perfect. No chance, chance here for any mistakes. Carefully placing the coins back in the jar and twisting on the cap, she slipped out the back door and made her way six blocks to the closest drugstore. Tess waited patiently for the pharmacist to give her some attention, but he was too intently talking to another man standing beside him to be bothered by an eight-year-old at this moment. She twisted her feet to make a scuffing noise. Nothing. She cleared her throat with the most disgusting sound she could muster. No good. Finally, she took a quarter from her jar and banged it on the glass counter. That did it. And what do you want, the pharmacist asked in an annoyed, annoyed tone of voice. I'm talking to my brother here from Chicago, whom I haven't seen in ages, he said, without waiting for a reply to his question. Well, I want to talk to you about my brother, Tess answered back in the same annoyed tone. He's really, really sick, and I want to buy a miracle. I beg your pardon, said the pharmacist. His name is Andrew and, he has, Andrew, and he has something bad growing inside his head, and my daddy says only a miracle can save him now. So how much does a miracle cost? We don't sell miracles here, little girl. I'm sorry, but I can't help you, the pharmacist said, softening a little. Listen, I have the money to pay for it. If it isn't enough, I'll get the rest. Just tell me how much it costs. The pharmacist's brother stooped down and asked the little girl, what kind of miracle does your brother need? I don't know, Tess replied with her eyes welling up. I just know he's really sick, and Mommy says he needs an operation, but Daddy can't pay for it, so I want to use my money. How much do you have, said the pharmacist's brother. One dollar and eleven cents, Tess answered, barely audible. And it's all the money I have, but I, can't, but I can get some more if I have to. Well, what a coincidence, smiled the man. A dollar and 11 cents. That's the exact price of a miracle for little brothers. Then he said, take me to where you live. I want to see your brother and meet your parents. Let's see if I have the kind of miracle you need. 
The pharmacist's brother was Dr. Carlton Armstrong, a surgeon from Chicago who specialized in neurosurgery. The operation was completed without charge, and it wasn't long until Andrew was home again and doing well. Later, Mom and Dad were talking about the chain of events that had led to this. Her mom said, that surgery was a real miracle. I wonder how much it would have cost. Tess smiled. She knew exactly how much a miracle costs, $1.11. What is our capacity to create miracles in our own life? Are we depending on our faith communities to be our incubator of those miracles? Do we make our way here every Sunday with a joyful expectation of being enlightened, enlivened, and energized? Is this the place that is our oasis from our chaotic, stressful life? Is that what shows up here? Well, that would be fully dependent on the you who shows up here, as, as illustrated by one of my favorite Sufi parables that says, a man who was traveling came upon a farmer working in his field and asked him what the people in the next village were like. And the farmer asked, what were the people like in the last village you visited? And the man responded, they were kind and friendly, generous, they were great people. And the farmer said, you'll find the people in the next village are much the same. Another man who was traveling to the same village came up to the same farmer somewhat later and asked him what the people in the next village were like. Again, the farmer asked, what were the people like in the last village you visited? And the second man responded, they were rude and unfriendly and dishonest people. And the farmer said, you'll find the people in the next village are much the same. You see, when we say depends on who shows up here, we're not talking about the folks sitting in the, in the pew in front of you or in the pew behind you or even the person up here on the pulpit. The experience you have here is wholly dependent on who you are when you show up here. And we're talking about the you that shows up. There's nothing happening outside of us. Whatever happens on the outside is, a, is an outer manifestation of what we perceive on the inside. Because of this philosophy, we know we continue to exist no matter what. Therefore, what's left is a perception issue. How I perceive my life is what gives rise to the quality of my life. And that's written in The Science of Mind by Ernest Holmes. There's nothing happening outside of us. Nope, not even in our spiritual home. If you're like me and grew up in a more traditional faith community, you may have embodied the belief that even though there may be chaos in the world and that there may be chaos in, a, in your home or workplace, that church on Sunday, that was the place where all the enlightened, calm, and happy people showed up. We were taught to expect that the minister was more enlightened than us, that somehow his connection to God was greater than ours. And though we may have struggles day to day in other areas of our life, we counted on him to be more than we were. And funny thing is, when that is what we expected, that is what we manifested. But as the science of mind teaches, teaches there's no one, no one more connected to God than we are, than you are. There's no one on the inside track. We cannot be more connected to God than we are because we are God in expression. So once again, we come to the part where we are invited to ask ourselves, are we worshiping the God that we believe in, or are we worshiping the God who is? 
The God that we believe in may be, a, may be one of lack, of chaos, of smallness, but that is not the God who is. The God that is, is a God of prosperity and peace and generosity and love. So whether it is at home or in your workplace or yes, even in your spiritual home, if lack, mistrust, blame, chaos and less than are showing up in our life experience, it is an invitation to look more closely at the God that we are believing in. One of my favorite sayings is, wherever you go, there you are. That our outward experiences are the reflection of who we are inside. At any moment, we can decide who we are going to be on the inside and have that reflected outside. We can decide and then decide again, as demonstrated in this little story by a 17-year-old girl. And she says, Today my dad is the best dad I could ask for. He's a loving husband to my mom and always making her laugh. He's been to every one of my soccer games since I was five, and I'm 17 now. And he pro provides for our family as a construction foreman. This morning when I was searching through my dad's toolbox for pliers, I found a dirty folded up paper at the bottom of his toolbox. It was an old journal entry in my dad's handwriting dated exactly one month before the day I was born. It reads, I am 18 years old, an, al an alcoholic who is, who is failing out of college, a past cutter, and a child abuse victim with a criminal record of auto theft. And next month, teen father will be added to that list. But I swear, I will make things right for my little girl. I will be the dad I never had. And I don't know how he did it, but he did it. So as I come to the end of my mere sixth talk here at the center, again I am reflecting on Dr. Patrick and thinking. As of last Sunday, he has presented over 800 Sunday talks at our center over 15 years. At the rate that I write talks, to be able to be that, to do that, I would have to sit down at my desk starting on Monday morning and write every week, every day of every week for the next eight and a half years to create that many talks. <laughs> on top of that, all the other hats that he wears, it gives you an idea of what it takes to be a career minister, to be a fundraiser, an administrator, a property manager, and a maintenance man, to attend hundreds of meetings, to be a leader, to inspire, to initiate, to mediate, and meditate, to evolve, to learn, to make your mistakes and grow from them in front of a whole spiritual community each and every week to carry it all on your shoulders. Yep, that's, that is some kind of superhero. And every superhero has a sidekick. Batman has Robin, the Green Lantern has Pie Face, and Dr. Patrick has Laura. He is also has a huge support system in the board that works tirelessly for the greater good of our center, and there are so many dedicated volunteers who share their love and energy. He's by right, he has, by right of consciousness, attracted Dr. Gary Simmons and the Q process into our midst so that we have a process to examine and release any of those thoughts and ideas that are holding us back from our true potentiality. A process that allows us to worship the God that is as opposed to the God that we may have believed in until this point.
to be more fully fully aware that we are, in fact, rooted in the divine. I asked at the beginning of my talk, is your spiritual community a place of miracles? Well, now we know. It is if you believe it is, as illustrated by this idea from Ernest Holmes that says, Finally, since the mind of God within me has not only created everything that ever was, God has created everything that is ever going to be. I am already able to project new ideas, new thoughts, and new inventions. I can be made new again just because I decide. I can decide and redecide at any time. What are you deciding for your life? The science of mind invites you to decide to tap into the fullest potentiality of your life, to bring the highest of yourself to every situation, and if you don't, no worries, just decide again. Being rooted in the divine means that we claim our birthright of creativity. The spirit of God is already within us, and because of this, we are able to live the life of our dreams. Claim your birthright, clear up any perceptions standing in the way of living the life of your dreams, and let yourself experience life. And next week, when you go through the line and give Dr. Patrick a hug or a handshake, check to see if his cape is peeking out from under his jacket. And I leave you today with this affirmation. My beliefs fashion my actions, Today, I believe in the highest and best of all humanity, including myself, and I act from that belief. And so it is. Thank you.